Morning. So glad you guys are here today. If you're a guest with us, my name's Landon. I'm the primary teaching pastor here. But on Monday, my wife and I welcomed a baby number three into the household. Yeah. Yeah. So we had to switch from uh, man to man to zone. Uh, she's, she's got a box in one going right now with the little one. I'm I'm double teamed right now with the other two. It's kind of crazy in our household. But uh, I knew for a while that that was coming. Uh, we had nine months to get ready for that. Okay, that was a joke. Never mind. Uh, uh, so, but I also knew that I was going to be in this series in Acts. And we'd be at, uh, the Sunday after Easter, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2, where Peter preaches his very first sermon, really the first sermon in recorded history. And it's very evangelistic in nature. People got baptized. Over 3,000 people got saved. We're going to celebrate with baptisms today as well. But I knew that going into this, man, who's the most evangelistic person I can think of that could come in and preach this sermon like uh, what Peter preached in Acts chapter 2. And it's my man, Pastor Joe Boyd from Aviator Church in Derby. They listen to this. They've baptized over 1,000 people in the time that they've been going on. You, yeah, you can clap for that because that's pretty awesome. I don't say, he would never tell you that, okay, because he's too humble to admit it, but that's awesome. God has used him in a powerful way, and it's not just the number because listen to this, every number has a name, and every name has a story, and every story matters to God, and the fact that God has used him in that awesome, awesome ways. Really, really cool. And so do me a favor, show him some love, give him a hand as he comes on and preaches for us in Acts chapter 2. Pastor Joe. Man, how's everybody doing today? Who's fired up? All right, kind of over here. Who's fired up? All right. Hey, today I, I want to be, I want to talk to you about Acts chapter two and more specifically, um, I want to talk to you about a movement. How many of you know that movements begin with moments? How many of you know that's true? Movements begin with moments. And, and just so I get an idea of who I'm working with here, uh, I kind of want to find out where your allegiances lie. Um, how many of you are KU fans? Okay, all right, all right. How many of you are K-State fans? Okay. And how many of you are Shocker fans? All right. Shockers are pretty loud. Like, see, the reason why your pastor and I have such a great connection is that, that we're both connected with sports. Uh, he's a great athlete. He referees great athletic events. I watch them. Um, I'm good at that part. And, uh, and, and what I found is that, that Kansas is basketball country. How many of you know that's true? When God called me to come and start a church in Derby, he called me out of Houston, Texas to come to Derby, Kansas to start a church. And, and when I got there, I discovered the incredible, rich basketball tradition. Um, I, I looked around and it was pretty obvious to me that there were a lot of KU fans because they're so good at basketball. And they're, they're a dynasty. It's where basketball began. And then, and then I looked around and I discovered that K-State was good at 
well, football, not, not so much in basketball, but they're really good at football. And then, and then we got here on the scene when, like, you could literally, like, people would give away tickets to go watch the Shockers, and that's whenever, like, my family would go. But then all of a sudden, they shocked the world, right? They got, they got excited. They got their team going. It, it started winning. And, man, you couldn't get a ticket. You couldn't buy a ticket. They were packing out the house. And, and, and what I began to notice in that moment was that, that people fly flags as, de- as a declaration. Um, like five years ago, there was a time where shockers were really coming on the scene. You guys remember this? Everybody's getting like, like Wichita some, and, and they were like wearing the t-shirts, and, and people started to fly flags during the Final Four. How many of you have seen that? People fly flags during sporting season. Uh, and so I started to look around town, and I noticed there were some KU flags flying. At, man, the, like five years ago, like everybody was in the tournament. It was incredible. Um, I, watched, I watched K-State fly, uh, flags fly. I watched Shocker flags fly. I became a big Shocker fan. Uh, I'm, I'm from Louisiana originally. I'm a Saints fan through and through. I'm like one of two in the entire state of Kansas. And that's okay because my team won a Super Bowl. But anyway... Um, <laughs> But, but I became a huge Shocker fan because I didn't really have a basketball team that I rooted for. And, and, and everybody was flying Shocker flags on, on my neighborhood street. And there was this one joker down the street that actually had an Ohio State flag. Like, like anybody Ohio State? Wow, man. Okay, so, so you're going to appreciate this. Just plug your ears. But, so, so like the Shockers and Ohio State play, and man, the Shockers crushed them. And so, like, I went down to their house, and, um, and I delivered them a gift. I said, hey, man, great game. It was awesome to watch. I wanted to give you this nice little gift that's going to help you with your bracket moving forward. And the guy looked at me, and he looked at the box, and he opened it up, and it was a book of matches. I was like, yes! Yes! So light it up. So today, I want to I light it up by talking about this idea that, that people fly flags as a declaration. Um, people show that they're fans of teams by showing flags, and, and they have uh, banners, and they have uh, stickers on cars, and they wear shirts, and we show outwardly who we're a big fan of, and we show that we're excited. We're making a declaration. But this is not a new concept. It's not a new concept for America. It's not a new concept for sports. Actually, the Bible tells us that there were people who were flying flags as a declaration even when it was in the Bible. Except they didn't call them flags, they called them banners. And whenever like a a tribe or an army or a military team would roll up on a scene in order to fight or make a declaration that this is our land and and this is is God's land and we're going to declare it, they would actually declare that with a banner. And uh, Psalms 20 verse 5 explains this, that, that David was one of those leaders and they would roll in and they would demonstrate their, their declaration that they've arrived and that God's going to do something. It says, we may shout for joy over our victory and lift up our banners in the name of God. See, people lift up banners and they lift up their flags whenever they're making a declaration. What I believe today is going to happen is that we're going to see people 
make a declaration for God. For some of you, you made that declaration by even getting up and rolling out of bed when, it was t- when you were tired. For some of you, you, you've never been to church, and so you're coming to a church that's meeting in a school, and you're making a declaration that God matters in your life. But today, I believe that we're going to all shout for joy, and I believe we're all going to be excited because we're going to see people make a declaration for God that's going to see our cities transformed. Now, we're talking about a movement And more specifically, this movement is outlined in the book of Acts. Um, If you're new to the Bible, there's an Old Testament, and that's that's the story of God concealed, where, where Jesus is concealed. But then we get to the New Testament, and this is the story of Jesus revealed. The first four books of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are the Gospels. This is the story of Jesus. But Acts is the story in history of the church, how the church got started. And, and so we pick up an Acts, and we realize that there is a story behind every declaration. Every time you see a banner waved, every time you see somebody making a stand, every time you see somebody uh, declaring something, there's a story behind why that happened. And there was a story behind the declaration of the first church after the first Easter. And that declaration was made by a guy named Peter. Peter had faith, and he never wavered on this, that Jesus was God. And that Jesus was the one that he was going to follow no matter what. And in fact, Jesus looked at him and said, upon this faith, I will build my church. And when he said that statement, he was in a place that was known for being chaotic. It was on the edge of wilderness, and and there was a lot of chaos there. And, And literally, in the midst of chaos and craziness of life, Jesus says, upon this faith, I will build my church. And the church always springs up in moments of crisis where, where cities need God to move in a big way. I believe that God's about to move in a big, big way in Park City and the small towns that surround it. I believe that what I'm looking at is, is a movement that began with a moment where each and every one of us say, okay, God, I'm in. For me, my story began where I, I would, used to be a drug dealer. Uh, in fact, I was the biggest drug dealer in the state of Louisiana. Some of you, you're like, whoa, I saw you gripped your purse. <laughs> this is church. Some of you are like leaning forward. Oh, man, it's going to be church, right? And, 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 and let me kind of qualify that a little bit. Um, I, I wasn't, you know, like, like bang, bang drug dealer. I was actually a pharmacy school student who uh, went to school and, and, and I had somebody, somebody invited me to go on a trip. And my plans for Mardi Gras in Louisiana fell through and I was tricked into going on a mission trip to Mexico. And I didn't believe in God. I, I was the kid that graduated from church and high school all at the same time. Anybody, anybody experienced that? You were just kind of like, man, I'm done. I'm out of here. I'm free, free at last. And, and I partied hard But then God got me, and he got me on a trip in Mexico where I saw the church at work. I saw people who were not concerned about uh, a building. They were concerned about following God. I I, I gathered with a small church of about 20 believers while we were there. And and in my church, we had like 200, and we'd pray for like 15, 20 people, pray for my Aunt Marge. She has a broken hip, that kind of a thing. But what I saw here— I saw this group of 20 praying for 200. 
They were praying for everyone down the street. They were praying for the alcoholic father that was beating his kids and that the kids that were coming down to the church in order just to find something to eat. They prayed that he would meet Jesus. They prayed that his wife would meet Jesus. They prayed that the kids would meet Jesus. They were praying for the people who were trying to work and some of the people that had gone to other countries in order to find work to provide for their families. And, and they even prayed for me. And it was on that trip that I had a radical encounter with Jesus where I knew without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus was real. And I couldn't deny it. I couldn't avoid it. I couldn't run from it anymore. And, and, and it was at that point that God transformed my life. I was no longer going to be pushing drugs, but I was going to be pushing Jesus. I was going to be introducing people to the one and true Savior for the rest of my life. And God led me from that place to go into youth ministry in a small town. And whenever I went into that small town, it was a church of 176 people. And in that church, the average age was 68. I am not joking. If you didn't have a walker, they'd loan you one. <laughs> they just had this heart that, man, we've got to reach this next, we've got to reach the city. We've got to reach these teenagers. And so we began to, to, to reach teenagers. We had six of them, four of them. Didn't even want to be there. Two of them were just like, okay, we're in. We got nothing better to do. And, and they said, what do we do? And I said, well, you know, movements begin with moments. And what we're going to do is we are going to begin by reading the book of Acts together. And so we begin to read the book of Acts. And we begin to ask the question, why would God do this? And then when we understood it, we did what God did in the book of Acts, and we begin to see a movement take place in this small community. And guys, I'm, I'm here to tell you, God moved in a mighty, mighty way. But here's what I know. Peter made this declaration, and here's the story. Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 24. He said, Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God, everybody say, but God. When you see but God, you better be ready because he's about to turn on a dime. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it is impossible for death to keep its hold on him. What he was saying was, listen, my God is not going to be slowed down. The, mo the movement has started. And the movement started in the moment where Jesus gave his life for you and me and every person on the planet. Because he desperately wants us to know that the movement has begun. And the movement is not here so you'll convert and just like kind of say, well, I'll just go and sit in a church. No, 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 no. This movement began as a revolution in your hearts that you yourselves would be transformed and you wouldn't be able to stop talking about it. The word would spread and it would get out beyond this local elementary school. It would get out in the cities and it would get out in the neighborhood and it would be so profound in your lives that you couldn't hide it from anyone. That's the story that he sets. But, but Paul also shifted back and he said, let's talk about this guy who waved banners. Let's talk about David for a minute. Let's talk about the difference between David and Jesus. What he was saying was, it's not enough to talk the talk. 
Like, it's easy for us to talk the talk. It's easy for us to say, oh, no, I'm, I'm good with Jesus, you know? It's easy to have a sticker on your car, but it's a whole different thing when you have to live it. In fact, whenever we go into Acts chapter 2, verse 29 through 32, he unpacks how this is more important than just the words we speak. He says, I can tell you confidently. He's not ashamed. He's not afraid. He, he, you know what's amazing? I'm just stop here for a second. We know that, that Peter denied Christ, and we know that he denied him three times, right? But we also know that. You ever think about why we know that? Because he had to admit that he did it. That's how we know. And because he admitted it and he came back to Christ and Christ gave him this challenge to take the church to the people, he's saying this not timidly, not with fear, not with anxiety. He's saying it with confidence and bold spirit. He says, I tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried. And his tomb is there to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. And seeing what is to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah. And he was not abandoned to the realm of dead, nor did his body see decay. God raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses to it. There were over 500 witnesses, eyewitnesses, that saw Jesus alive after he was dead. And this is confirmed not just with the Bible. This is confirmed with non-Christian Jewish historians. This was confirmed with non-religious Roman historians that there was a sighting of Jesus Christ after his death. And the world doesn't deny this. But in our choices, in our moments of doubt and fear, we deny him and we deny the movement. What's the really the bigger question is, are we fans of Jesus or are we followers of Jesus? Because here's the thing, a fan can put on a shirt, a fan can wave a flag, you can go to the game and you can be hyped up, woo! But you know what happens to fans when things start going south? They start to empty the stadium. I've seen it happen over there at Shocker Nation. But you know what? Followers follow. It doesn't matter if it's good or bad. It doesn't matter what's going on. They are obedient to follow Jesus every step of the way. And they follow him. And see, the difference is a fan sits in the stands, but a follower is in the game. My question is, who wants to get in the game? Who wants to engage? Who wants to really be a full court follower of Christ? Well, what I know is this, that our response reveals our allegiance. It shows how serious we are to the cause. It shows how committed we are. In Acts 2, verse 36 and 37, here's here's what happens. There's a turning point where people have to make a decision. Bump somebody next to you and say, we're going to have to make a decision. It's a choice, right? He says, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Every movement begins with a moment. And this was the moment 
that the church, before it was fully the church, had to make a decision. This was the moment where they had to decide, where do we stand? What do we do? How are we going to move forward? And, and, and they're like, well, what do we do? What do we do? See, up until this point, they thought they were good people. You know, I've met a lot of people who think that the way you get to heaven is, is they just say, well, you know, Joe, I, I'm a good person. And you know what? Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. The only way you get to heaven is not by being good enough, not by buying enough Girl Scout cookies, not by walking the little old lady across the street, not by taking your kids to t-ball. You get to heaven through Jesus and Jesus Christ alone. And Jesus Christ is the way you clap for that because that's good news right there. And, and the good news about it is whether you think you're good enough or you think you're too bad, guess what? We're all eligible for forgiveness. And see, the really cool thing is this is that, that when we wave flags for our teams, that, that's fine, that's good. But the only flag that Jesus wants us to fly is a white flag. He wants us to fly a flag of surrender. To say, it's not about me anymore. It's not about, it's not about my team, it's not about my church, it's not about, about, about my way, it's about your way. I surrender to you. And, and this is incredible because sometimes surrender is the best response. See, surrender is, is what you do whenever you meet a force that is greater than you and that it's imminent that you can't win. There's no point in fighting anymore because to fight is only going to cause more pain, more suffering, more loss. There's just a point where you have to wave the flag. And, and the significance of it is it doesn't go back to the world wars in America. That goes all the way back to the Romans. Whenever they would like raise up a white flag, they were saying, listen, I'm unarmed. I'm holding on to the flag with both hands, so I'm not holding a weapon. I'm not dangerous to you anymore. And it signifies that, that we're done. I'm going to quit doing what I'm doing, and I'm going to surrender. Peter said that surrender was the best response for the people who had turned their backs on God. In fact, in verse 38 and 39, he said, Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of our sins. Notice, it was about forgiveness. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, meaning God's going to live in us and work through us and transform us and our neighborhoods and our families and our cities one life at a time. And the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. See, there's a point where we realize that if we can't beat them, we need to join them. But the problem is we give in to things like peer pressure to go do the things we don't want to do or the things that we know we shouldn't do. But what Jesus is saying is, I am a force that is so powerful and all-powerful, you need to know that there is no beating me. I've read the end of this book, okay? I know who wins. And it's not Satan. He's already lost. But the problem is, people don't know how to choose the right team. And we have opposition. You know, most sports teams understand something more than most Christians. 
Like Christians walk into life like, oh man, it's no big deal. I got Jesus with me. I'm not going to face any opposition. Nothing bad's going to happen to me. There's no sports team in the world that walks into a stadium and doesn't understand that half of them are against them. They expect opposition. Listen, we need to expect opposition, but when we surrender to Jesus, we win. No matter what happens between now and the end, we win. That is certain. That is certain. And so what happens is we've got to ask ourselves an important question. Is God the God of all of my life? Because when you surrender, you're giving it all up. Think about, think about the things, take your hand for a second. I want, you, I want you to open your hand. I want you to think about the things in your life that really matter. And then I want you to close your hand. I want you to hold on to that thing that you think is really, really important. Let me tell you, if that thing that you're holding on to isn't Jesus Christ, you've got a problem. Because if Jesus isn't Lord of all of your life, he's not Lord of if he's not Lord of all of your life, he's not Lord at all in your life. Because there's still room where you're letting something else be more important. And he's not going to compete. He's calling for a full surrender. He's calling for you to let go of everything and grab a hold with both hands on the flag and say, Jesus, I give it all up. I turn over my life. I turn over everything to you because I recognize that you are Lord and Savior. And I'm joining the winning team now. And the cool part is, is that when Jesus won the war, he was on the cross. And he said, it is done. You know what the really good news is? He didn't say, I'm done. He said, it is done. Why did he say it's done and not I'm done? Because he wasn't done. He's still working in our lives. He still wants to transform our lives. When we surrender to him, he's saying, hey, I still got work to do on you. The Bible says he's the author and perfecter of our faith, which means as we're written into the story of God, he's still doing some editing work on us. There's some parts of your life where you feel like, man, man, I just don't have it all right yet. Guess what? God knows that. And he's working on you so that you're transformed from who you used to be to who God wants you to be. Because he's still working. His work is not done in us, but the work of defeating sin on the cross was done when he died on the cross for all of us. And so what, what, what's our response? Well, see, I think for some of us, surrender's scary. Can we just be honest? Surrender feels a little scary. We've watched war movies. We see what happens to POWs. If you saw Unbroken, you're like that one guy, he, he got captured, and you're like, oh, I don't want to meet Birdman, right? That's freaky. I don't want to do that. But see, we're scared, but we don't need to be scared when it comes to Jesus. We can trust Jesus with our surrender. You know, the Bible says that whenever, whenever we don't know God and trust God, we're an enemy of God. We stand directly opposed to him until we trust him. But look at what it says in Romans 5.10. It says, For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? He's saying, you don't have to be afraid of the surrender, because when, when you surrender to me, I ask you to be on my army. 
I enlist you into the greatest movement of God. And that movement begins with a moment where you surrender and you trust Jesus and you say, I'm all in. I'm following Jesus all the way through. In his name I pray, Jesus Christ all the way. That's where we're headed. And so the amazing thing is that surrender can actually lead to freedom. There were people in the Roman Empire that were in jail that would surrender from jail. They would wave a a white little handkerchief or something and say, I surrender. And they would free them literally out of the jails. And some of us, we're captive to alcohol, drugs, bad relationships. We're, we're, We're trapped by our sin that consumes our lives. And we desperately need somebody to save us. And his name is Jesus. He did the work on the cross. And listen, some of you, you're struggling. You're saying, well, I could see that he did that for some people, but not me. Listen, he did it for all people. How many of you ever had this moment happen? You go to McDonald's or someplace, you buy a drink, uh, you get it in the drive-thru, and you drive away, and um, halfway down the road, you realize they didn't fill the drink all the way to the top. And you get mad. How many of you had that moment? You're like, oh, man, I didn't pay for 70% of a cup. I paid for the whole cup. It makes me crazy. Like, it makes me so crazy. I'll drive back through the drive-thru and be like, oh, you need to fill this cup up. I'm serious about that. I do. And I know some of you look at me and go, I believe he does that, right? But, (laughs) But you know, when I see a cup that's not full that I paid for, you know what I think of? I think of churches all over America where seats are empty and Jesus died for every person in that community, but they don't know it yet. The price has been paid, but God's house isn't full enough. And the church isn't full of people because they don't know the good news yet. And it's not because there aren't great guys like your pastor throwing it down every week and preaching. It's because we haven't carried the message out. We haven't waved the flag and said, I surrender to God every part of my life. My, my, my finances are God. My life, my time is God. My mouth is going to be God. I'm going to speak about my God and my Savior to anyone and everyone that will listen because my God paid for everybody and I don't want him walking away thinking he didn't get the full deal. Can I get an amen? Amen. Let's get rolling on this, all right? You can speak back to me, it's all right. So surrender has the power to save your life. And this is really critical because this is your moment. And you have to take some action here. But it says in Romans 10, 9 through 10, if you confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Not kinda, not sorta, absolute certainty. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. Movements begin in moments. New Anthem Church, I'm telling you, this is a moment for you. This is a moment. Peter said, repent. That means, that means I was going this way away from God. Repent means I'm going to do a U-turn and I'm heading back to God. It does not matter how far you are from God. It matters most which direction you point. You know, the guy that, that's just coming off a crack binge and he's way out. I mean, we're talking outside the building away from God. 
If he's walking to God, he's in a better place than someone who's standing right next to Jesus and has their back turned. You don't believe me? It's in the Bible. Have you met a guy named Judas? He walked with him. He served with him, but he never saw him as Lord and Savior. He turned his back and it cost him his life. But if you confess that Jesus is Lord, Jesus says you will be saved. Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. And the way we get saved is by the forgiveness of God. Surrender gives you a new life. You're not the old person with an upgrade. You're not the old person that, that like is still like rattling around and beat up. Listen, you're a new creation. You're brand new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, when someone becomes a Christian, he becomes a brand new person inside. The Holy Spirit lives within you and is transforming you. The old life has passed away and the new life has begun. For some of you, that is the best news you have ever heard in your entire life because you are so tired and worn out and exhausted trying to pretend sitting in a church that you're a person that you're not and you know it. And it's killing you. It's the reason why you're inconsistent because you feel this guilt and this turmoil and it's tearing you up. But you don't have to have that anymore. You can surrender and say, I'm all in, God. And he says, that's a brand new person. You have a brand new start, a brand new heart. Do you know that whenever, whenever somebody dies, like, like, like when somebody like needs a heart transplant, somebody else has to die so that they can live. In my church, down in Derby, there's a woman who needed a heart transplant. And she waited and she waited and she waited and waited. She almost died. But then there was this moment where there was a car wreck. And they got a call, we need you to come to the hospital right now. And she's alive today because a 17-year-old passed away. In order to get a new heart, somebody else has to die. I got good news for you. No matter how broken you are today, no matter how much your heart hurts, no matter how much sin has dominated your life, let me tell you something. You can't make it on the heart you've got. But 2,000 years ago on a cross, Jesus died for you, and he exchanged his heart for your heart so that you and I could have a new start. You're a new creation. When you have the heart of God and the Holy Spirit lives within you, you're not the old person. You're not who you used to be. You're not the biggest drug dealer in Louisiana anymore. You're following Jesus and you're pushing the thing that doesn't just fix a situation. It transforms lives and brings people from dead to life. And that is Jesus and what he did on the cross. So my question today is this. Who wants some of that? Because what we need to do is we need to pray. This is going to be a two-part message. This tank isn't here for decoration. In a moment, I'm going to tell you what your next step is. But your first step of faith is to put your trust in Jesus. And so I want us to pray. We're going to pray, and I'm going to pray with you, and I'm going to lead you in this. And I believe that there are people here today that maybe you've been coming and sitting in church, and you think that that's good enough. Listen, sitting in a church doesn't make you a Christian any more than sitting in your garage makes you a car. Okay? It's about a heart change. Repent, follow Jesus, it'll save you. Okay? All right, let's pray. Jesus, in this moment, I pray that you are moving in people's lives. Jesus, I pray in this moment, God, you would radically transform someone's life forever. God, I pray that they would put, quit playing the game, and they quit acting, and they quit pretending. 
God, I know that today they, they walked in here and today was one of the most difficult days they've ever had because they had opposition. They had things that were standing in the way. There was something, someone that didn't want them to be here, but God, you wanted them to be here to hear this so they could make a decision and follow and trust you. Jesus, in this moment, for all those that are here, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if they believe that you are the Son of God, and they believe that you died on the cross for them, and that you're not mad at them, you're mad about them, and you've come and met them right where they are. But Jesus, you say, come follow me, and you will lead us from where we are to where we need to be, and you'll lead us all the way into eternity, where there is no pain and there is no suffering. All we have to do is confess that you are Lord. Right now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, this is your moment. This is how movements start. This is your moment. I'm going to count to three, and I want you to just raise your hand if that's you to say, I'm going to start my life with Christ today. I want to be a new person. I need a new heart and a new start. One, two, three. Shoot your hand up right where you are. Shoot your hand. Hold it high. Hold it high. Be proud. Be proud. Praise God. I see, I see men saying, I'm all in. I see, I see a little girl saying, I, I'm going to follow him. I'm going to trust him. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to play games anymore. If that's you, I want you to know that God has saved you and transformed you. You will never be the same. Look at me for a second. You will never be the same. You'll never be the same. It's forever changed. God, we thank you so much for decisions that have been made. In your name we pray. Amen. But listen, I'm not done quite yet. I know I'm up here sweating and I'm wiping off. Listen, if, if you don't break a sweat at your job, I'd be, I'd be worried too, okay? But, but today it begs the question, what's my next step? Well, the next step, if you've, ne- if you've been sitting here and you've accepted Christ, but you've never taken the step of baptism, that is your next step. And I know some of you, you're sitting here and you're going, well, wait a minute, Joe. I didn't come here uh, planning on being baptized. Guess what? The first church that was formed in Acts 2, they weren't planning on being baptized either. They were showing up. They were just walking the streets. And they heard this profound message that Peter preached. And it began to transform their life. And they were like, whoa, wait a minute. (laughs) Something's happening. Here's what it says. When we take a look... At Romans 6, verse 4, it says, By our baptism, then, we are buried with him and share in his death, in order that just as Christ raised from the dead, so also we may have a new life. The symbolism of going under the water is that we go under the water with Christ. At my church, what we do is we ask people to hold their own nose, because listen, if you don't hold your own nose, you're going to drown. It's going to be your fault. And we hold them underwater. And the longer you're underwater, the more you begin to realize, I need some life. And when you come up out of that water, it symbolizes that you're rising with Christ. And the powerful moment in that is that people cheer and they celebrate because they know what it represents. Movements begin in moments. Moments like this where we're going to experience baptism together today. But you know what? I know that some of you, you're thinking, man, I don't know, man. That seems like a lot for me. I want to tell you a quick story about a friend of mine. His name's Kyle. He's on the screen here. This is Kyle. Three years ago, Kyle walked into our church. 
as a complete and total atheist. He watched a lot of History Channel. He was convinced that Jesus was not God. But God got a hold of him. His wife brought him to church because she believed. And, and she just went and she said, you got to come see this. You gotta, it meets in a school. And he was laughing the whole way like this is going to be a joke. And God got a hold of him. In fact, he stuck around for the second service. And then he gave his life to Christ. He, he, he did. And he thought he would be rejected for his tattoos. Listen, God's not mad at you. He's mad about you. He doesn't care what you look like. Tall, short, heavy, thin, tatted up, never had one. Black, white, it don't matter. Jesus died for you. The only color that matters is red because it's the, it's the color of the blood that Jesus shed for us. And he, and he joined a group, like you guys have groups. He began to grow. The question was asked, if you could do anything with God and you knew you couldn't fail, what would you do? And he said, man, my teenage years were terrible. I was on drugs. I ran crazy. I'd work with teenagers. Not long after that, he started apprenticing under someone in the student ministry. He began to grow in that. He went public with baptism. This was amazing. I got to baptize. Now, that's my arm right there with my friend Kyle. And, and Kyle got baptized and today, he's our student pastor leading like almost 100 teenagers a week to know Jesus. That's the power of our God. God's not going to waste time if you'll trust him. But I know some of you, you're sitting here going, well, Joe, wait a minute. I got some reasons why I'm not going to get baptized. First one is you're like, wait, I was baptized as a baby. <laughs> Me too. I grew up in a tradition where, as a baby, uh, I was christened. But you know what? I don't remember that moment. They even lost the pictures. I, I don't remember the moment. And what my parents were doing in that moment, like some of your parents have done, and even some of you have done for your children, is you were making a profession that you wanted your child to grow up in a Christian home that they would know Jesus. That's why my parents did what they did. And, and I graduated church and high school all at the same time. But you know what? There was a point where God got me and it turned all around. And there was a point where I needed to take a step and I needed to be baptized. In fact, whenever I, I take a look at it, I realize that, that when you're baptized, you're baptized by immersion. I was sprinkled as a child. And that's not wrong. That was, that was my parents making a decision. But there's a point where you and I have to make a decision. In the Bible, there's over 29 accounts. When you read the book of Acts completely, you see 29 incidences where a person believed and then they were baptized. They believed and they were baptized. It's called believer's baptism. And when you believe, just like several of you just raise your hand and say, I trust him, that was your first step of faith. But your first step of obedience is to be baptized. And there are many of you that, that have raised your hand and trusted Jesus in the past, but you haven't taken the step of baptism. Well, one of the other things that it's like, well, do I have to be immersed? Well, why do that? Because Jesus was baptized by immersion. Do you know he went under the water and came up? It says in Matthew 3, 6, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. He was showing what was about to happen when he was going to be dead, buried, and resurrect. You know, every baptism in the Bible was by immersion. There was a, 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 a priestly eunuch that wasn't a Christian yet, who met a man named Philip on the side of the road and he led him to Christ and they were going down the road and they saw some water and he was the one that says, why wait? Why wait? In fact, he even says it this way. In Acts 8, you might get to this later, 38 and 39, it says, then both Philip and the man went down into the water and Philip baptized him. 
And when he came up out of the water, he was transformed. The word in Greek for baptism is baptizo. Turn to somebody and say, baptizo. Come on, that's just kind of fun to say. The word baptizo means to immerse or dip underwater. It symbolizes that, that burial and resurrection. But see, the final question we need to ask is this. Who should be baptized? Who? Well, Peter already answered that for the first church, and 3,000 people got baptized. He said in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, those who believe and accepted his message were baptized. They believed and were baptized. They took that moment. They showed up. They weren't ready. They did it anyway. Some of you, you're sitting here and you're saying, but Joe, I'm not ready. I, I came dressed for going to hit up Cracker Barrel afterwards. I'm not, I'm not dressed for a baptism. That's okay. We thought about that ahead of time. I talked to your pastor and we got some shirts already set out. They're right over here in the connection corner. We've got shorts. We've got towels. We're ready for you. You may have come here and you're like, man, I wasn't ready for all this. That's okay. You walked in here dry, but you'll walk out of here dripping with obedience. Somebody's fired up over here. I need everybody to start getting fired up because God's going to do this. Why wait? Some of us, we say, well, I'm not worthy enough. Listen, you're never going to be worthy enough. Jesus died for us while we were sinners, while we were messed up, while we were jacked up and we had no chance of redemption. Jesus said, I'm not mad at you. I'm mad about you and I give my life for you. He demonstrated what it looked like. He demonstrated baptism. He demonstrated surrendering his life in exchange for ours. You know, I, I, whenever I was that youth pastor in that town, God did a mighty work. We read Acts and we were going through this and, and our student ministry blew up. We had 170 students in our student ministry in a little bitty town called Beeville, Texas. And I was reading this book of Acts and we were talking about getting baptized and there were a lot of kids that were ready to get baptized. And I read it and I saw that pattern, believe and get baptized, believe and get baptized. And I realized that I'd never taken that step. And I couldn't be a hypocrite. But in the church and the denomination that I was in, they said, look, you were, you were done as a kid. We're not going to do anything about that because um, we wouldn't want anybody to know that we hired a guy that wasn't baptized. And they were doing a cover-up when God wanted to do uh, a complete overhaul. And, and I had to risk, I had to risk my job to be obedient to God. They wouldn't do it. So I, I had a friend who was a pastor in this little Hispanic church. And I had to take off work, take, a pay, take, take off from work to miss a Sunday so that I could go get baptized in this little church. And I'll never forget it. It was in January. It was the coldest January in the history of Texas up to this point. And I showed up that morning and I said, hey, Brother Mars, uh, man, I'm really excited. He goes, Joe, I got, I got good news and bad news. I said, what's the good news? He goes, you're going to get baptized. I said, what's the bad news? He said, the heat pump's messed up. It's all cold. I said, man, I'm doing it anyway. I've risked everything. I'm here. He said, okay, great. And I went down in the water, and, and it was a small tub, kind of like this one. He had to really push me down to get me down in there. <laughs> it's like he did a body slam. Woo! I was the only person to get baptized that day. And I came up out of that water, and people cheered and cried. And I said, man, Mars, what do I do now? He goes, go out that door and go back to the bathroom. And I didn't know that that door on the side led to the outside of the building. And I stepped outside in that cold Texas wind. Woo! Hit me, man. And I was like, ah! I'm a new man now. And I ran back there and I got changed. And then I came back in the church. 
And there was this woman that I saw that was a secretary at the high school. Because see, now I wasn't a drug dealer anymore, but I was working that high school like a drug dealer for Jesus. I was there all the time. And she said, I want you to know something, Joe. It blows my mind. I know what you risked to come here. I've heard other people in your church talking about that in the office. And I want you to know I've prayed for you that you would be obedient to God because I know God wants to do something big through your life. I'm telling you, some of you, you're sitting here and you're like, man, I don't know if I should do this. Listen, you need to take the step of baptism today. Here's why. Because just like that woman told me, I'm telling you, your step of obedience to baptism is the answer to someone else's prayer. There have been people who have been praying for you, praying for you. Your wife's been praying for you. Your husband's been praying for you. Your kids have been praying for you that you would be fully obedient to God, that he would be Lord of all of your life, and that your life would be transformed, and it would transform your family and your neighborhood and your city and the state and the nation and the world. That's what's at stake here because movements begin with moments. New Anthem Church, this is our moment. And I'm going to pray and challenge you right now. As the band continues right now, they're going to play. I'm going to pray that people would take the step of baptism. Some of you already signed up, but some of you need to step up. If you just accepted Christ, today's your day. I already told him, get some big t-shirts. Don't let that be a stop, stop anybody. Let's pray. Jesus, in this moment, I pray that you move mightily in somebody that they don't wait anymore they came here dry but they're going to walk out of here dripping with obedience god i pray that people would take a step of baptism and they would fully follow you movements begin with moments and this is the moment where somebody's life is going to change somebody's family's going to change somebody's neighborhood somebody's city's going to change because somebody's going to take a step of obedience and trust you lord so right now where you are some of you, you need to move, move to the edge of your seat because I'm going to tell you, it's time for you to get up and walk out to this connection corner and go get your shirt and get your shorts and take this step. Don't wait any longer. Don't wait. Here we go. Jesus, I pray that you move in these people's lives. At the count of three, I'm going to just challenge them to stand to their feet and walk right over here to connection corner and get ready to take a step of baptism. Here we go, people. One, two, three. Stand to your feet. Come on now. If you accepted Christ, stand to your feet. If, even if you've done it before, don't wait today. Now's the time. They'll talk to you about the decision. They're ready. Let's move. Let's move. Let's move. As the band continues, I'm going to make my way back there. And as you feel led, I'll meet you back there.